Today, Bryce and I are talking about leadership learning or the lack of it. Come and listen in and find out why the military start to train their people in leadership from boot camp, whereas in business, it doesn't tend to arrive until very late in your career. And then, is it even that effective? And why has technology caused us to be drowning in content with this online learning? Tune in. Look forward to seeing you. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Welcome back to another episode of The Thinking Leader. How you doing, Marcus? I'm doing very well, my friend. It is awesome to see you once again. And I think you've got something to talk about this week. I do. I do. I've been thinking, Marcus, you and I have been, have been teaching our, our, our first uh, pilot course with our, with our new partners at coaching.com to train the first cadre of certified red team coaches. And one of our students asked a really, really interesting question in class yesterday. And we were, we were teaching a technique, one of our simplest techniques, that's not anything that we invented. It's, it's just stakeholder mapping. A lot of people have probably familiar with it. And, and it was going really well. And, and one of our students during, during a break said, you know, I learned this in my MBA course, and yet I never use this, and nobody I know uses this. Why, why is that? And it raises a really interesting point, which is that a lot of the things that we teach as part of Red Team Thinking, not all, but a lot of the things we teach as part of Red Team Thinking are not that different from things that people probably did learn in business school but they don't use. And what I said, what I said to her was because, because when people are going through these courses and I, I taught at the, the executive MBA program at, at Haas School of Business at Berkeley, there, a lot of people sadly are not really there to learn and to really take the tools they're given and internalize them. They're there to get a piece of paper that is going to advance them to the next level in their careers. Boy Scout certification. <laughs> right, except I still remember all the stuff I learned in Boy Scouts. I mean, yeah. you know. It's useful. Yeah. You, you, you give me someone who's lost a limb and I could put a tourniquet on that like nobody's business. <laughs> That's the thing, though. Is that it's like, but, but it's interesting you say that because, like, I mean, I, I took that stuff as a kid really seriously. Like when I was learning it, like, you know, oh, this might save somebody's life someday. And I think that when you're learning these things in business school, a lot of the times you're not really in the headspace of wanting to learn how to become a better leader, wanting to learn how to become a better executive. You're in the headspace of trying to check a box and climb to another rung of a career ladder. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and we've spoke about this before where if you go on these training courses, it's often just a ticker box. It's that mandated 
we have to give X amount of hours per year to our employees and then off they go. And the learning from that is so minimalistic and the application of it back in work the next day or the following week, non-existent, isn't it? It's just like, well, might have been a bit fun, might have learned something that was interesting, but actual applicability and effectiveness of it to help you be a better operator, whatever it is you do in your role, just doesn't manifest. And I think that's what we've seen so often is not even at the end of our training. It's like the next day, isn't it? You won't believe what I did today. What? Yeah. I was using that thing you told me yesterday. How does that right. happen? I mean, we this class we did yesterday, we're halfway through this program and almost everybody's used at least one of the tools that we've taught them and has, has been coming back and saying how, how much of a difference it made in their work with their clients and things like that. And, and I think that's really important. I mean, we've worked hard to make sure that everything that we teach is immediately applicable, like the next day, if not the same day. And I, I, I think that's important because what's the point of learning if it doesn't, if it doesn't lead to anything? And it, and it gets into also how you teach things. Because, you know, this is, this is something, as you know, I said during class when we started this discussion yesterday about this is that, you know, a lot of what we teach is applied critical thinking. I was a, I was a philosophy major. I was a double major in philosophy and anthropology, as you know. And I mean, I learned a lot about critical thinking as a philosophy major, but none of it was taught in a way of here's how to use this in your life to make better decisions. It was all taught in a very theoretical way, like, you know, Socrates came up with the Socratic method and, you know, this led to this strain of Western philosophy and stuff, which is all very interesting. But what's a lot more interesting and a lot more powerful is how can you use the tools that Socrates pioneered thousands of years ago to make better decisions as a leader today in your business, in your organization, in the military, wherever you're at, yeah, exactly. which you can, which you can. you can. Yeah. Yeah. And and what we often seen is though that the type of delivery of this learning is often PowerPoint heavy. It's one way you're sitting listening to the, the, the subject matter expert who deeply knows their content and they're conveying that in a way that they expect everyone else knows it. And if you're not having that what we call that pedagogical learning experience where you are, you know, immersed you're learning, you're doing, you're questioning, you're challenging yourself, you're being challenged by your peers, by us, and they're challenging us. That's what I love about these sessions. You know, you and I always come away afterwards and go, we've learned so much today. Well, that's why we're having this conversation. I mean, you, we, we, I, that was a real eye-opener to me when she asked that question. And, and you're right. You know, it's interesting. The very first full red team thinking course that I did, which was for a fortune 20 companies before you and I started working together. The very first cohort that went through that at this, at this corporation, half of the, half of the people in the first training program had the year before been sent by the company to Oxford to go through Shell's strategic planning, uh, since Shell's scenario planning course, which is a great program. I mean, I would love to go through the scenario planning course at, at Oxford. It's 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 really cool from what I heard of it. And obviously, scenario planning is a very powerful tool that I fully recommend people use. But after the course, the the 
head of learning and development at this company asked those people to to rate their experience with red team thinking versus what their experience had been with the Oxford course. And they shared the results with us and they were, they were almost ex- identical for each of the, each of the half dozen people that were surveyed for this were, they all said, we loved the scenario planning course. We loved this opportunity to study at Oxford. We learned a lot of really cool stuff about theory of strategic planning of understanding risk. But when we got back to our day jobs, we really struggled to figure out how to apply what we learned at Oxford. And, and, you know, some of them said, we're still struggling to figure out how to apply what we learned at Oxford. One of them said, I actually haven't figured, I haven't applied anything I learned at Oxford yet, even though I really enjoyed it. Whereas they all said that what they learned in our, just the first, first few days of our course, they were already using every day. And, and I think that it's incumbent on people who are, who are teaching people these things to really think about, am I giving people who go through my training programs tools that they can really use? Not that, that, that just expand their mind, which is a good thing, but, but that has to be coupled with action. The best ideas in the world don't matter if they don't change your behavior. If they don't change how you do your job, if they don't make yeah. you more successful as a leader. And I think executives should be demanding almost an ROI from their people that they're paying for to go on these training courses, etc. You know, it's it's like when I was in the military, when you go away and do your training courses, you come back. The boss is expecting you to convey what you've learned to up upskill those around you to a level, obviously not to the level you've learned, but they want to see some increase in performance. And if you just come back from a course and sit quietly carrying on as you were before, what's the point? It's all stuck in your head. You don't see that in business the way you do it in the military, though, do you? Yeah. The, no. the, the, the holding people accountable for applying what they learned. Not at all. Measuring the ROI on that. I think that's an interesting concept. You know, training in the military versus training in the business world is so different. And and it, and, it, and it really is a problem, I think. When I was at Fort Leavenworth, when I was at the Command and General Staff College going to the Red Team in University, I had lunch every couple of weeks while I was there with with uh, General Bob Brown, who is the who is the commanding general of of the Command and General Staff College. And really interesting guy, really, really looked forward to my lunches with him. And what I think probably our first lunch, he, he said, uh, he said, what's your, what's your plan with all this, Bryce? And I said, well, I'm writing, I'm, I'm going through this course and I'm writing a book. He's like, I get that. I know you're writing a book. He says, but I mean, obviously you're not planning on just stopping there. Right. And, and, and I said, no, I, I said, I'm, I'm going to create a company to, to teach businesses how to apply these tools that I'm learning here. I'm, I'm going to build on this. And, you know, I really think this is something that would be valuable for companies around the world. And I, I'd like to share it with them. And he said, how are you going to do that? And, and he kind of got a little bit of a wicked smile on it. I, I, I said, well, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? You don't think I'm a very good teacher? He's like, no, no. He said, he said, uh, he said, let me tell you something. He, he said, I, have been asked by the president 
to sit on one of the CEO councils in the United States and leadership councils. And he said, I, I'm the token guy in green on this, on this council. He's a three-star general at the time. And he said, I, you know, we meet every quarter and I've got a chance to, to, to know a lot of these guys. And of course, you know, being that they were all from large corporations, they were all guys. Um, and he said, you know, we get together, we have our meetings, we play golf together and have dinner. And he said, the thing that has shocked me the most, having gotten to know several of these CEOs, is, is how little training they get as leaders. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you look at me, he said, I'm a three-star general. I get at least, if you add it up, a month of leadership development training every year. I hope, you know, constantly, he said, I'm constantly getting training to become a better leader, to be a more effective leader, to apply new ideas to, to, to running the organizations I run. And he said, I, I've sat and talked to these people and, and unless they, you know, except for the time when, you know, a lot of them got, you know, as part of their fast track through their company sent to an MBA program for a year or whatever, they don't get any training at all, or they get a day or, or two here and there. And he said, I, it stuns me how business fails to invest in the training of top leaders. He says, that doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, so I, I'm, I'm just worried, he said, for you about how you're going to get people to invest the time and the money into, into training their people in these tools and techniques. And, you know, he was right. It was more challenging than I thought. I mean, we've, we've kind of figured it out, how to shorten it down quite a bit and stuff like that and make it things that people can digest. But I mean, he, he was right. Businesses by and large don't invest in training anywhere near the level that the military does. No. And they don't invest in the training of leadership. And I think that's the, the pivotal difference between those two military and business entities is that military is you know the foundation is leadership of the military and we focus on growing and enabling future leaders from the minute you arrive at boot camp in business it seems to be you get that as a default out of your cereal packet when you get promoted to senior manager and there's this bizarre assumption that you are suddenly skilled as a leader at a certain level and then you might get a two-day training course or the internal online pack, and they'll throw some random coach at you when you reach a level. And then they wonder why things are failing. As we know, Business right. Agility Institute, three years running, the number one challenge to enabling business agility is leadership. Why are leadership. we surprised? We're not putting the time and effort into upskilling our people in being good leaders, great leaders and change leaders. And I read an article today saying that there's a growth of having chief transformation officers at the table yeah. in the C-suite. And that's unheard of because again, like leadership, everyone thinks change is just something that happens and we all do, but it's a skill you need to do it effectively, which is why they're all failing. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let's take a short break. When we get back, we'll continue this conversation about how to get leaders the skills they need to really lead effectively and succeed. Be right back. Hey, folks, Bryce here. 
If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. So welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about how business doesn't really focus on the ability and the skill set of leadership. It's something that they tend to expect to just morph out of a promotion downrange. And we were considering why that is. And one of the things that the military does really well is the minute you start, they are focusing on training you to become a leader. So why in business aren't we bringing our interns in and straight away focusing them onto becoming future leaders and creating programs and training for that? What do you think about that, Bryce? Well, that's a really interesting question because I don't think it was always this way. I think that businesses used to do this. My mom was a was a, a fairly senior executive for AT&T for when when the AT&T was the only phone company in the US. Mm-hmm. And she started her career she was in the first cadre of female executives and she was part of a fast track program. She was recruited as part of a fast track program while she was still in university. This would have been, you know, late 60s early 70s. And she was given training, a lot of training at every level that she was promoted to. And she was given a lot of internal training. I remember she would disappear for for several weeks every year at various points to go to what was then AT&T's headquarters in Basking Ridge, now Verizon's headquarters. And she'd go there for leadership training. She'd be there for a week, two weeks. She lived in the dorms there. They had dormitories for for executive, you know, for for leaders, and they'd go through training. And then she'd get sent to offsites. She'd go to different, you know, programs with leadership leadership external leadership experts. And her whole career, every time she advanced, she got more and more trained because I think in those days, big companies like AT and T invested in training. And I think it, I think what happened. She she left when the when the phone company split up in 1984. I think what happened is in the 1980s, in the late 1980s in the U.S. in particular, we started to get in the period of cost cutting and austerity programs and downsizing and all of this stuff, particularly following the stock market collapse in 1987. And what's an easy thing to cut? What's the easiest thing to cut is training. The easiest thing to cut is training. And so... As companies got leaner, as they downsized, as they looked for efficiencies, I think that what most of them excised almost entirely was was executive training. Yeah. And then, you know, we also saw the rise of executive MBA programs then in the 1990s. And so this became a way to solve the problem, which is that instead of having this ongoing training and support that used to exist, when somebody reached a certain level in their career path, yeah, you get you let them go and go. take an executive MBA program and problem solved. Now they're a leader. They're good for the rest of their career. Yeah. 
I think that tied in with this journey that you're talking about through time is also technology. How many organizations have we seen and worked with where they have this online plethora of portal oh, after gosh. portal yeah. or whatever training you need as a smorgasbord, go and take your pick. And there's too oh. bloody much. Poor people in the organization are like, I don't know where to look. I don't know what's relevant. I don't know what's useful for my role, my future. But hey, head of L&D telling you, we are swimming in content here. What more do you need? And I think that's a problem. Oh. We've circumvented the human interaction. And what we heard yesterday as well from the coaches was they've done the online training. We've done online training ourselves. We saw that didn't work. You've got to have yeah, we tried. We tried to create a, a program yeah. like that just for our boot camp. And it, the content was there, but people didn't learn as much and they weren't as satisfied. So we killed it. Yeah. You know, I and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, when I when my book first came out, before you and I even met, I got contacted actually by one of the one of the big companies that does these online training programs for corporations, and they offered me a pretty sweet deal. You know, to 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 pay me to take the content from my book and develop a series of of courses and that they would pay me a, a nice chunk of change up front and then they they give me a licensing fee for every every button seat yeah. that watched one of these training videos and you know it sounded you know financially it made a lot of sense but i said you know i i don't think i can teach what i teach in a video and they're like sure you can sure you can we got we've got coaches that will help you right through it you know and so if you just take your take the content in your book and you just Make it into the 15 minute increments. You could basically just read your book to people, they said. And I said, I could, but that doesn't mean I should. There's a lot of things that I could do, but I don't want to do because I don't, I'm not interested in, in, in checking somebody's box to say they got training in applied critical thinking and group think mitigation. I'm interested in helping people actually think and get over group think. And the only way that I can do that is to teach them in an interactive process and it, and it could be in person. It could be online. That's all good, but it has to be live. It has to be interactive. And yeah, we could create a course. We could create evergreen versions of everything we do, but it's not going to be the same level no, not of, of learning. And, that was and it's not going to yield things that people can apply right away. Yeah. That was one of the comments from one of the ladies last night. Wasn't it? she said, this is physically, physically, retraining your brain right and you can't do that without human interaction no video is going to enable you to do that to the level we do in the group of very different people interacting with each other and self-learning as well through the challenge ah, through the yeah. discourse that your brain does shift throughout that period of learning that's never going to happen. I video. loved that. I love that when she said that. I know. This is changing your brain. And it is because we're not just talking about cognitive biases and making people aware of them. We're not just talking about group thinking, making people aware of it. We're helping people see how they can identify and overcome these things every single day. And, and again, it it's there, there's, Part of the blame why that is not for why that is not more common lies in 
organizations that that are recipients of training, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier just to to buy a bunch of videos and put them on your intranet, and then require people to to watch a few of them. And you know, let's be honest. Here's how most people are going to watch those videos. They're going to sit and queue it up, and they're going to go and surf the web and do something else. Check sports scores, oh, yeah. deck, check their, Scott, their stock <laughs> prices, watch their kids' videos. Yeah, and then oh, they got training in critical thinking, you know, or but but the, even if they do try to use the courses, there's only gonna, they're going to be of limited value. I'm not saying they're not of any value. I'm just saying they're of limited value. Not going to change anybody's way of thinking, really, or or leading. But there's also an onus on the people who, the subject matter experts, the the thought leaders, whoever is developing training, to teach people in a way that they can really benefit. That's immediately actionable. That's a you know you know that we've done this. We've gone through and looked at different tools, and we we've we've decided not to teach them because even though there's a lot of value in them, they're not necessarily things that people could immediately take and apply. So we're still figuring out how to modify them so that they could be like that because I'm not putting anything, I'm not teaching anybody anything that they can't go to work the next day and use. That's the beauty, isn't it? And it's for me, it's not just we're teaching an individual to do and learn and appreciate and understand this tool. They are physically capable of going back to their workplace, back to home, and using that tool with others and showing others how that tool works, where it came from, why it's effective. And it's that whole, goes back to the mindset we talk about, it's the understanding of the tool that helps you to use it effectively, which is why we don't right. dish out the tools and techniques without first the understanding of the psychology, the history, how our brain physically is gonna work and interact with this tool. Then we demonstrate it and they go, oh, no, it won't do that. My brain's far cleverer. It won't allow me to do that. And then we show them it will. And they're like, I can't believe that just happened. And then I think that is the point where you then go into actually using the tool in a group setting with a scenario and they appreciate the value and its intent. And then they go through the steps. And at that point, they walk away and they're off. It's like taking the stabilizers off the kid's bike, isn't it? You let go at the end of the right. session and you know next day they're going to be riding around work, showing all their friends this great new thing and everyone's going to be jumping on and joining with them. It's interesting because we started this talking about the difference between military training and training in the, the business world and the civilian world. And I think in the military, based on my experience, you have a different problem, which is people get training in things that really does help give them stuff that they can use right away. And then they're not allowed to use it. Yes. They go back to their units. They go back to their commands and they, they get pushback from the, from the hierarchy, from the, 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 their superiors, or even just the people they work with who, who don't want to change, who don't want the boat to be rocked. And I think that's, I mean, I, I didn't serve like you did. I mean, what do you, th- am I, am I off base on that? I mean, I think that's a big problem in the military. It is a big problem. Inability to apply what you've learned. And I've done a lot of blogging about this recently on LinkedIn. It's where the, the advocates and the creators of mission command still prefer command and control. And um, we're seeing this as, 
There's a lack of psychological safety in the military. People aren't speaking up. There's a lack of innovation. And it's interesting that General Brown, who's the U.S. Air Force chief four-star. Different recent- General Brown than we were talking about before. Indeed, yes. Another one. Yeah. And he recently, a large sellout conference, stood up and said, you know, hey, Airman, do not wait for me to direct you what needs to get done. I need you, be, you know, to be test and learning, fail fast, learn quick, and move forward and do what you need to do. Right. My job and the seniors around me is to enable the environment within which you can operate and be empowered and effective. Get on with it. You know, Nike, just do it. And just do that's it. the leadership exactly. that's needed. But obviously, for that to come down through the layers that the military hierarchy has, that's going to have the colonel filter removed, the lieutenant colonel filter removed, the ma- those type of people <laughs> you were talking about who make that poor yeah. individual return from training going, I'm not going to put that to test today because career limitations lie ahead. Warning. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I worked for a paper, I won't say which one, at one point in my career as a journalist that was re- that actually did a good job of investing in professional development. They would send us to to, to courses at, at uh, the journalism school at Berkeley, it was in the Bay Area, um, to become better reporters. You know, every year we get to go take take spend a few days taking courses. And um, the problem was is that you come back all excited with what you'd learned, <laughs> and you, you you come back to the newsroom and like, hey, I want to do a story. I want to go. You know, look at it this way. Here's some cool things I learned about a different way of thinking about how we can do it. Piece on this, and and every time, the editor, your boss, would look at you and say, "I need you to go to write this story, this story, this story. I don't, I don't have yeah. time to hear about this. Go back to your desk, write these two stories. Here's your deadline. We'll talk about this later." How deflating did that make like. you feel? Hugely, hugely deflating. Yeah. And and that's the thing is so it's so interesting. There's so when you unpack it. There's so many things that have to go into making good learning. You've got to have a willingness of the organization to invest in learning. You've got to have teachers that can teach effectively in ways that actually lead to behavior modification, that actually equip people with skills that they can use. You've got to have learners who are willing to open their mind and to do more than just watch a video in the background on their screen, who are engaged in the learning process. And then you've got to have managers that are willing to let people apply what they've learned. That's the secret sauce right there. It is. It that's is. a secret that's sauce. That's a great list, but and you have to have them all tick, tick, tick. Otherwise, it's not going to manifest. There you go, folks. We've given you the the secret to great learning. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode. There, you'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.